As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. That is Acts 13, 2. Welcome to a, another episode of Thinking Well Podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tom. What's going on, Tom? Just a good life, man. We are truly blessed, aren't we? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we'll probably start to need to, we'll probably need to mend the, uh, the intro here to uh, include Bryce as well. He's yeah. also here in third seat again. And I'm Bryce. And I'm Bryce. There we go. There we go. We'll have to, we'll have to do it like a, in order. Just start like, editing it in. <laughs> like super <laughs> unnatural, like <laughs> right in the middle. That'd be awesome. But uh, yeah, we, we appreciate uh, everybody staying, staying uh, in tune and, and, and listening. Uh, this is uh, the last week of September. So we will be uh, in the missions Yep. kind of segment um and uh we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up this is gonna be the finale of that series you know we've talked about everything from you know missionary what they're going through you know in yeah. in their places you know the the loneliness the depression uh the needs of the sending church uh deputation um even their wives their their families yep. um you know we've even had you know guests on right tom's yeah. brother um, there to talk about some of that and, and, you know, they're very, very close, uh, related to the subject matter, Yeah. but yeah, it should be good to really dive into the text today and, and kind of wrap it all up. Yeah. Cause we took, uh, we started with missionary kids, right. And it's just, when we look at that and the difficulties that they go through being on the field and, um, kind of like you said, the, the stuff that, and again, not, and we covered this already, but I just want to make sure that there's no misunderstanding to our listeners. Like not that every missionary kid goes through those difficulties when they come back and not that every missionary or wife goes through some form of loneliness and depression on the mission field. Uh, it's not necessarily the hundred percent case. Um, but if you, if you really sit down and talk to missionaries, you will find that most of them have gone through stuff like that. Yeah. They're uh, definitely more maybe susceptible. Yeah. Well, and yeah. there's stuff you don't really think about if yeah, you're not absolutely. one. Cause yeah, like yeah. a lot of stuff you guys talked about, I wasn't on the episodes before this, but I was in the other room listening and I would have never thought about probably 80% of what you guys talked about. Yeah. Like it's, we look at missions and talk about missions all throughout our church life. Um, it's a big part of our church. Um, we give a lot of money to missions um, and it's just kind of something that we almost talk in passing and we have uh, missionaries come in and speak on Sunday mornings and stuff. And it's just kind of something that we did, right? I never really thought about what it meant and what those people went through other than when they were there talking about their specific ministry. Yeah. And as we, as we kind of wrap it up, this is something that I've been really passionate about for a while. Maybe all these difficulties that we've been talking about, maybe they're not necessary. Interesting. What do you mean? So like Kyle, when the verse that we started with, right? And this is, this is to get an idea of the methodology of missions. We really need to look at Acts 13. Uh, it's a crucial what I believe to be template for successful, what we would consider today mission work. Cause we did talk about some of the history and why, and based on historical mission work, 
the forefathers of modern mission, why we do missions the way that we do. But I think when we look at, I don't think, I believe that when we look at Acts 13, you're going to, there's a pattern there. And one of the first things that it starts with is it mentions in verse one, a whole bunch of names there at Antioch, which was a church that was started out of the church of Jerusalem, right? So it was a biblical church. It was started biblically, no issues there. But it's, it talks about all these men that are working in the church there. You've got Barnabas, you've got Simeon, you've got Lucius and Menaean, and then you've got Saul, which is Paul, right? And then it says, as, they, as we read, right, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, well, who did the Holy Ghost say something to? Well, they said something to the church, because it it's talking about the church at Antioch, right? So the Holy Ghost said to the church. Now, we could get into the discussion of, well, did the Holy Ghost visibly, like, audibly say to the church at Antioch, separate, or was it something that the Holy Ghost pressed upon the church of Antioch's heart, right? That's what, it, yeah, that's what yeah. I would tend to lean towards, how, how it should be done today. Yeah. Same well, thing. And, and so why, were, why was the church at Antioch fasting and praying? What was their purpose for that? Well, when you look in context where the Holy Ghost says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul, whereunto the work that I had called them, this is the Holy Ghost letting the church at Antioch know, hey, this thing that you've been fasting and praying about, your answer is separate Barnabas and Saul to the work that I've called them to. Well, what is that work? When you look at verse 3, and when they, the church at Antioch, had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, so they ordained them as ministers, right? They sent them away. Where did they send them? So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia and from thence sailed to Cyprus. And you've got the beginning of the first missionary journey. And when you look at that, and you look at all the ways that we've talked about that missionaries are called and the missionaries are sent in today's churches, I see an enormous disparity. I don't see churches having a burden to send missionaries and fasting and praying about who is going to be the missionary and then the Holy Spirit showing them from their congregation of people that are already serving in the church. These, these men are who I want to be your missionaries. Because we've discussed it. It's an individual saying that they have a burden, that they feel like God is calling them to a certain mission field, very specific mission field, usually, which is why they wind up where they are. Whereas here, the church itself had a burden for missions. It wasn't, it wasn't Paul and Barnabas didn't stand up and say, hey, no, we really feel like... Um, the Holy Spirit has called us to uh, Seleucia and then that we need to sail the, from, from Cyprus to Salamis and then we're going to start our missionary journey. But you don't see that here. And it makes me question, not the calling, I'm not questioning the calling because I really do believe that God calls men to be missionaries, but my, I think what I take issue with is how we perceive that it's done today. Is it surrender? Is it as much surrender to just be 
working in the church and then surrendering to a call from the church to be the church's missionary as it is to individually say, I surrender to God's will for me to go to this specific country. So I think it's, I think there's some difference there. Yeah. Uh, question. Do you think this is one of the cases where it could be just with current times, that's why it works a little different than it used to? Or is this, do you think what this is one of the things where we're, we're just straight up doing it wrong? Like, like, do you think God up in heaven in his almighty knowledge looks down at this and says, I wish you guys, I mean, obviously not in this, but he says like, basically, I wish you guys would do it like I told you to in the Bible. Yeah, like prescribed. Or, or Bryce do, with or, the hard hitting question. Or do, or do you think he's kind of like <laughs> with current times and the knowledge and people being able to look up and review these countries and and like do their because beforehand they weren't able to do that, right? It was like, hey, they're going to go out with no knowledge, figure it all out for themselves. Right nowadays, you can pull up an iPad and go anywhere in the world and and research some of what it's like, what it looks like, the demographic. Like, do you think that's one of the reasons yeah. it's different? So I, I I can unpack that. So. I would say the thought of, you know, the missionary being unprepared, I think that that is not a fallacy, but I, I feel like you see a lot of what you see in scriptures is a lot of time. We, we talked about the whole whole like, hey, slow down the process podcast, yeah. right? They were trained how to pastor these churches before they were sent. They were yeah. trained to how to handle uh, the un, the unbelievers that they would be going to, how to endure the travels and how to, I mean, just to prepare for the, the mental fortitude necessary to do it. So I think a lot of it was, there was a lot of time, I mean, much more time than you see uh, in most churches nowadays, um, where they were just making sure that they understood, one, the assignment, and two, that they had the mental fortitude to actually go out and preach. And that's a really good point, right? Because Paul in this case was probably at this point in time, if you just kind of follow his timeline, right? Um, mid forties, like early to mid forties before he even started on his first missionary journey. And he was already working there in the church. He was teaching in the church. He was preaching in the church. He was active in the church as well as Barnabas, right? So I would imagine that both of these men were around the same age. So here you're talking about guys that are in their early to mid forties that are being sent out by the church on a missionary journey. And you look at what we're doing today and we're sending like 25 year olds and 30 year olds who've never really pastored a church before. They've been like youth pastors and associate pastors, but they've never done anything as far as starting a church. They don't have, and Paul, if, if, if you go back a little bit further in Acts, like he had been at other churches and had gotten to Antioch because that's where they accepted him the most because the churches, some of the churches in the, the Jewish churches in Jerusalem, so we're still having a hard time like wrapping their mind around the fact, okay, this is the guy that was like kicking us out of our houses and dragging us out to be stoned. And right. they, they, they were well, having a, probably knew yeah, him. They were having a really yeah. hard time wrapping their minds around that. Whereas in Antioch, he was able to kind of throw those fetters off and they accepted him there on the recommendation of Barnabas, by the way. Um, so do I think that God's sitting up in heaven and says, you're doing it wrong. I wish you would follow what I've prescribed in, in the Bible. I don't necessarily think that maybe he's saying you're doing it wrong. What I do believe is that he looks at some of the hardships that we're having in the way that we're doing it. 
And he may be, I'm not, I don't know the mind of God, but he may be thinking or trying to impart to us, I have prescribed a better way. I see. Because um, I don't, again, I don't think we're doing it wrong. The, the, whole, the whole reason we wanted to kind of tackle this subject is let's look at it differently. Let's look at it through the lens of the Bible. Let's take yeah. out the history. Yeah. Yeah. What, if, what yeah. if we follow this model? Let, right? Let's yeah. take out historically what we've done based on the forefathers of modern missions. And I keep saying modern missions because... It is modern missions. This is historical, biblical, classical missions. We've changed it based on a method that someone else used in a newer time. Because of my experience with it and the conversations I've had with other missionaries, I question whether or not it's better. Because we, we can look at what happened here, right? You've got two mature men Barnabas most likely married. So historically, he was most likely married. Um, and the reason I say that is because uh, John Mark was not a direct relation of his, but was related to him. Mm. Okay. Um, but you look at Paul, and I've, I've even heard some pastors hypothesize that Paul may have been married just based on some things that he said, right? Now, I would probably lean in the other direction that Paul wasn't married. Uh, based on the same kind of things, right? Like contextual clues that Paul gives us throughout his epistles. So is there a reason why the Holy Spirit specifically separated out Paul, knowing that he would be able to dedicate himself to that work exclusively and not have those kind of ties back in Antioch? Sure. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit also selected Barnabas, who was married and potentially had children, that he left with Paul there. They didn't go with him. He didn't take them on the journey with him. And then they went and they stopped at the first place. And then they stayed there for, you know, a couple of years until they got to know everybody. And then they started a church. Like that's not how it happened. His family stayed there. Now, how I imagine that would work today is the, that portion of it, the beginning portion of it, right, is a church gets a burden to have, a, to send out a missionary, missionaries, right? And so the first thing they do is the same thing that the church at Antioch did, is they start praying about it. Lord, we have a burden to send out a missionary. As a church, we have enough people in the church. We have men that are called to preach in the church. They're not preaching consistently, but they are here, right? And they're serving, and we have all these capable, able-bodied, spiritually capable and of leadership men in the church. Um, we have a passion to send somebody out. And they pray about it. What, what's the time frame? I don't know. That, is this a time frame? Like, hmm. it doesn't say how long they were fasting and praying. It doesn't say it if it was days. They yeah. didn't say if it was years. We don't know how much time elapsed in these first few verses, right? But for a certain amount of time, they fasted and prayed. And then the Holy Spirit impressed upon their hearts the name of two men. And they took those men. And even after the Holy Spirit gave them those names, they as a church still continued to fast and pray. And confirmed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's these two men. And they sent them out. What would that look like 
today is we'd do the same thing, right? We'd pray. And when the Holy Spirit laid someone on the church's heart, we would say, we would approach those men. And I firmly believe that if the Holy Spirit lays some lays a, group, a pair of men on the church's heart, that those men will have the same burden. They'll know already. Yeah, that's, right? that's basically the confirmation. Yeah, but right. they're not they're not the, they're not saying that hey, the Lord's called me to the field of Ireland, right? They're right. like they're, we're submitting yeah. to the authority of the church to go out as missionaries to wherever the Lord would lay on their hearts. Well, it's a very important distinction because I we see it it's very rampant nowadays where you'll have uh, you know a young man have some kind of emotional response to something he sees and he he thinks it's the Lord calling him to wherever yep um, but he, he kind of has it backwards now listen we, uh, we get it right I mean there's we're emotional beings we stay, we see things we, we can definitely sympathize with things we see and we want to help and we think we feel connected. Uh, I'm not discounting that. Whatsoever. And we've been told that's the way it is, right? right that's right. the way it happens. Yeah. Um, but that's not what you see in scripture, right? So I, I think there's a few issues here, right? There's one, it needs to be church led, not individual led, right? The church needs to go to the individual or in this case, two individuals, two men and say, hey, the church feels uh, compelled to send missionaries to wherever, Argentina, South Africa, Ukraine, wherever. Um, and as we just said, I would, I would, I would think that if it's the the will of the Lord, that they would re- reciprocate that and say, you know what, that's crazy. That's also kind of what we were thinking. Or you know what, that sounds great. Absolutely, right. Um, and then there you go. Then we start talking about okay, let's get these guys trained. Let's talk about yeah. funding. Let's talk, and then let's let, let's go after that. Let's figure out how to make it happen, right? But yeah, you have to start with it being church led. Um, so that's the first issue I think that we run into. Um, a little bit of a, a gap from what we see now in, you know, modern missions, like what we said. Uh, the other issue is kind of what we talked about first is the two men. Yeah. Right. And um, I think that's key. Right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, you, we just read it, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's what we see there. And we also see it actually earlier than that too in scriptures in like the gospel of Luke, right? Where yep. Jesus himself sends out the apostles, six groups, right? Of two and says, Go, right? I mean, you, you see the example even before you yeah. get to Acts. I mean, you know, if you want to look at it chronologically, it, they already kind of had a template. Yep. So it, it, it's not super hard to kind of get yourself mentally there later in Acts. I don't know how, I don't know how many years after that, let's say 50, 50 to 75 years after that, they already had scripture saying yeah. that this is, you know, the way we're going to do it from God, Jesus himself. Well, and even when even the apostles, like there was a time before that where Jesus sent out disciples, right? And he just sent them out two by two as well. And a, a key thing that the question that we would need to ask there is why two by two? Why? What's the importance of it? So I, I think there's a, a myriad of things. We can touch on a few of them, right? I think it just goes back to the animals on the ark, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The, the pattern was that. <laughs> no. So why two men? So... There's companionship, right? right? And we've looked at throughout this whole thing, how many times Paul said like, so-and-so came to me and they were a great help to me. And Paul is always mentioning the people that are traveling with him at the end. So there's a companionship factor, right? Well, what does that alleviate? Now you don't have a missionary on the field by himself 
struggling through loneliness, struggling through depression, struggling through the frustrations of ministry by himself, right? Um, And there's also an accountability factor there because now he's out on the road and it's not just him answering to God. There's someone there with him holding him accountable because they're both members of the same church. And so now they're accountable to each other because they're both accountable to the church. And there's that sense of, I'm going to watch your back. You watch my back. If you see me slipping on anything, call it out. Like be a brother in Christ to me. Uh, help me along. So those are, I, there's so much more, but those, I think those are the two basic things that we could go back to, to argue the, uh, the, the two men together. Um, it makes ministry easier. It makes coping with ministry easier. There, there's a lot of advantages there. And being from the same church, you never have to wonder, well, are we going to disagree on this key tenet of our faith? Are we going to disagree on this doctrine? Like you're from the same church. Right. You, yep. The likelihood that you're going to disagree on those two things, it, while it's not 100%, it's a very low percentage, right? right? Whereas right now, when you look at how we do things today, you send a new missionary to the field and the first you know, two years that they're there, they work with a missionary who's already been on the field. Well, that missionary, most of the time, not from the same church. Because the likelihood that you've got two missionaries in the same area, to the same country, from the same church, pretty slim. But you've got these two missionaries that may not agree on everything. They're, one of them is trying to learn from the other one, and it's kind of a yeah, weird like dynamic. Yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah. They're from a different area in the United States, so they, they're not even from like the same thing, same area culturally. So there's just, there's a lot of things that are lost there. So that would be, I think, one of the, a couple of the key advantages to just uh, the, the two men, right? Uh, the other thing I think we could touch on is, well, why didn't they send the families with them? Well, why did they need to? What, what, what is the key for sending families in today's age? What's, what is the argument to send families to the mission field? Because, I mean, Paul and Barnabas were gone two, three years at a time, right? That, two separate missionary yeah. journeys. They were gone two, three years at a time. That is, that is the big separating factor, right? The length of in which they are leaving, right. that they're going to be gone. Um, to answer your question, right, the, the, I think why it's so argued nowadays is we expect our missionaries to be on the field indefinitely. I mean, until they furlough, I mean, whatever, right? So call it five to 10 years, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I could see that being pretty hard, right? Being away from your family for half a decade or a decade. I could, yeah, in that pretense, absolutely. Take them with you. I can understand that. Um, but again, that's not really what you see in scriptures, right? It, yeah. it, it's the three to three to, you know, five years, uh, or sorry, months, not years, three to five months at a certain place. Um, that definitely makes more sense to not bring the children and the wife, have the church, the sending church oversee them, you know, wrap around them and provide for them and oversee them. Um, I think all of that it's, it's very scripturally sound. So from a Barnabas perspective, right, like him and Paul went on the missionary journey and the first missionary journey, they were together. And it was if I'm and I could be wrong because I haven't like studied the time frame in a while. It's like two and a half years. Right. So Barnabas was away from his family for two and a half years. Well, what kind of difficulty did that bring? Well, okay, so they mitigated the difficulty of it because he had the companionship of Paul and some other people. Right. 
Well, how did his family deal with it? Well, his family was being cared for by the church at Antioch. So when his wife was running into difficulty, like managing the household just from a leadership perspective, there were other people there at the church that could come around and come alongside her and help out with that in Barnabas's absence. Well, what about if, if the wife was struggling with it? Well, there were other women there at the church that could come alongside her and comfort her and uh, just minister to her in that way, right? Yeah, help out around the house. Yeah. That's not even talking about the financial you know, help and the supply there. Right. Because um, it would, I, yes, because it would be the, the responsibility of the church to care for the missionary's family. I would say so, yeah. yeah. But you look at you look at those things, and I I think now in today's world, right? Would it necessarily have to be two and a half, three years at a time that these missionaries are gone? No, and that's why that's why I, I like to condense it down to less than a year. Yeah, um, I think that's way more you know to break into those kind of bite size durations of time because um, I because like it's not lost on us folks. We understand that you know there's we have to think about when this was happening, when what time period in the world this was happening. Um, with today, you know, we have to kind of adapt it a little bit and say, will this work a hundred percent cookie cutter model? Maybe not. Maybe we have to tweak a couple things and say, maybe not two years, maybe, maybe it's a six month duration. Maybe it's a five month, three month, whatever. Um, in today's world, I think that probably makes more sense than anything probably over a year, but it doesn't change the fact that personally, I believe that if, if we were to adopt this model, if, if, if Christian churches were to adopt this model, it should be two men, regardless of how long they're gone, the sending church should supply aid, whether that be financial, uh, you know, mental, emotional support to the people left behind, their families yeah. left behind. You well, guys think, um, as, as long on, on the, sorry, on the lines of the family, um, being sent or not, that that's also something just to do with the times like back then, it was probably impossible to take your family travel wise. Yeah. Like yeah. travel. I mean, it, I can see that you couldn't yeah. have kids. You, I mean, taking a young one was probably impossible as far as just keeping them alive. You know, nowadays well, yeah. that's, then you get like a splinter, then you're, you're dead. Yeah. So. Nowadays in the majority of places, if you have money or at least enough money, you can, you can survive, right? Like you can find shelter food. You can take care of a young one really anywhere with the exception of some places, but you know, you think that's testament to it too? It's just possibly, easier to bring your family possibly, than it was? But my, my counter to that would be because of the shorter durations of time, the emotional lack of, you know, their husband leader, the family would be less, you wouldn't, they wouldn't be gone for years consecutively. And the other side of it that we haven't talked about yet is listen, I, we all have kids, right? There, it, it might be possible that if it's just two men, they might be just saying maybe, maybe more effective in a shorter period of time mm-hmm. without the rest of their family. Uh, I, I, absolutely. I didn't say it, Kyle did. Yeah. No, so, well, it, because, <laughs> don't get me wrong, in ministry, like sometimes family family, and, and things like that can be a distraction, right? So there's a couple of answers that I would have for that. Um, one, back then, a lot of the time that they were gone was mostly travel, Right because they didn't have the, the ways to travel that we sure. have today. I mean, these guys went by boat, went by foot, 
that that's and true. that that's, ex- that's exclusively that, yeah. that's exclusively how they traveled right so most of that when you look at the area that they covered you could cover that same area today in a matter of like a couple of months yeah whereas that back then it took a couple of years um so I think you, you've got to look at that. Like we, we are more efficient in how we can reach. So we should be reaching more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how long, how long were they back? more in a short period of time. Yeah. How long were they back? Um, I'd have to look at that. I haven't actually studied out like how long they were back, but there are some, there are some key things in here that I think contribute to uh, how they were able to move the way that they were. Uh, one of the things, if you look towards the, the end of 13 is they were, in an area, and in 49, it says the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region, which is fantastic, right? But then in verse 50, it says, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief of men amongst the city and raised persecution, raised persecution against Barnabas and Saul and Paul and expelled them out of their coast. 51 is key because 51, I think we forget too much. And this goes all the way back to what you were talking about, how Christ instructed the apostles, right? But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. Oh, they weren't, they weren't accepted in a certain town. The gospel wasn't finding footing there because it was, it was hard, rocky ground. What did Christ instruct them to do? The apostles to do. He said, listen, if you come to a city and nobody will have you in and nobody will listen to you, what I want you to do is walk out of the city, shake the dust of the city off your feet, and go to the next town. Hmm. One of the things that we do not do in this age of modern missions is when we're struggling in an area where the gospel will not seem to find any seed, we have these missionaries that stick it out for five, for 10, for 15, for 20 years, and they have two converts the whole time. Well, Tom, what about the two converts? That's fantastic. I would argue that if those two converts were if it was in God's plan for those two converts to hear the gospel and to get saved, they would have heard it without that missionary being there for 20 years. Yeah. Or because it could have or, been more effectively reached. Or they would have just visited that town over and heard it anyway. Yeah. Right. Or it's their responsibility to lift up a church locally because they're from there. Yeah. And the p- missionaries that were sent there move on. Right. Yeah. We'll get to that later that on. That's, that's <laughs> crazy to hear. Preview. Like that, that stuff right there. I mean, the way just, we grew up in church today. I mean, that mm-hmm. sounds like, how dare you? Yeah. Right. How yeah. dare you say that? You're dumb Lust to give up. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's yeah. so the, weird to but, hear. I'm telling but you, it you, was, you pulled back the veil yeah. on this stuff for me months ago and like just glass shattering in my head of just <laughs> stuff that I just assumed that yep. about missions and how we approach it. Um, going into it blindly, just not really doing my research about it there in Acts. I, I just accepted what we do as yeah this was okay probably ordained or somewhere this is said this is how you do it yeah i never questioned it at all i thought yeah this you know makes sense yep because i never really thought about kind of what bryce said and i've said it before after they leave our church after the presentation's done i never really thought about it yeah it wasn't really you know the forefront of what i saw or what i thought about i wasn't really presented with it other than you know updates that we get from our pastor weekly, um, but you, you have different missionary every week, and you know there's a lot of other stuff going on, and then you have you have them there, which is great. I love hearing about it, but I think most church members aren't entrenched in it as much as, especially as they are, 
and they just kind of let it slip and they're not thinking about these things. Well, and it's easy to think that like, oh, they're missionaries. They're making the sacrifices. They knew what the life was going to be like. Well, who dictated the life? Yeah. The thing I love about having the family back at the home church, right, is you have that consistent base for them. The wife, as we talked about, like her living kind of this nomadic lifestyle constantly throughout the entire mission work. You don't have that anymore. She's able to keep a home for her husband to consistently come back to, for her to raise her kids in, for her down the road to have her grandchildren come visit her in. You know what it is, Tom? And this is a great parallel. This is actually even true, like in my life. And I'll just tell a quick story and we can move on. But I can't tell you how great it is now that my wife is a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Right? I don't have to worry about my kids being at some school or daycare or what's going on through the day. I can trust that, hey, my kids are safe. They're at home. They're taken care of. The home is still a cohesive unit. There's nothing weird going on there. I know it's secure. And what, what, that, what that allows me to do is be confident in my work. I don't have to worry. Sure. I don't have to worry about what's going on at home because I know that my wife is taking care of it and my kids are taking care of it and they're safe. So that makes me extremely more confident in my work. I don't have to divulge mental capacity in that, in that way, worrying about that on my, you know, daily. And I, I see a parallel there, right? I can imagine these two guys are going out They're, I mean, I can't even imagine, right? They're proj- projection daily, right? Assault daily, trying to go out and preach the gospel. And uh, for them to have to worry about, you know, their their family back at home, if yeah. they're being taken care of emotionally and financially, I, I can't imagine that. Or if they're there with you and your wife is having to go through that same rejection right along with you. Right. But that's on her hard. own, because yeah. you're out there, right? Yeah, right now right. she's going through it and struggling through it on her own. Whereas if, if both families are at the church, right, the wives are in contact with each other on a daily basis. Right. They have that maybe they've got kids the same age. Maybe they don't have kids the same age, but the wives are dealing with the same thing. And just like the men have companionship on the field, the wives have companionship at the church. Yeah. And it doesn't uproot the home that she right. has established for X amount of years. Well, and it's the, it's a, that having the home is a key thing for the kids too, right? right? Because some of the, some of the deficiencies that there are for missionary kids from a, uh, from a, not an upbringing perspective, but from a social perspective, having Christian show, social circles to run in as as kids, right? Like now they're not dealing with that. So they're at the home church. They're in a stable school there. And are they going to deal with the same stuff that everybody else deals with in school? Yes. But you know what they have now? They have a group that three times a week they get to get together with and get some spiritual input some spiritual, again, companionship, somebody, a a group, an age group of kids that are going through the same things that they're going through in school. They've got people to talk to about, yeah, you know, my, my dad's out with, you know, brother John and he, they're on, they're on the mission field in Brazil. They're going to be back in a few months because I, I think what we can do today is do a three to six month blitz and Bryce, one of the things you brought up was cost, right? It costs substantially less to put two men on the mission field for three to six months than it does a family or two families for three to six months or for three years. Which is not what, yeah, for which usually what you see the average is at least two decades. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so most, most, most missionaries will be on the field and it's weird because we'll use the two and a half to three year furlough thing pretty consistently, which we see the pattern for in right. Acts 13 and 14, right? But we don't use anything else in that pattern. Where, where did we go wrong? I, I honestly believe that when people like David Livingston and all these guys started feeling the call to a certain people group or country, and then they started going out and raising their own funds and establishing these missionary societies that would gather funds from them, from the elites in like England and the places that they were from, is we started seeing as churches, we started seeing success from that. And so we adopted that pattern, but that pattern is modern. It is not traditional and it is not classical. Right. We basically privatized it through external organizations, not the church, these mission boards, these external funds, uh, we privatized it. And during that period of time, uh, you know, mid 19th century, so 1800s, 1900s, um, there was some major success with that and praise God. Oh, absolutely. But that is kind of the first step. And I think where we took it too far and we said, well, look at that, that's working. Let's just copy and paste that. And that's, I mean, over 200 years, 100, 150 years, that's what you, that's where we are now. It, it, like you said, it's very, very modern. Well, and from a cost perspective, right? You're talking about, okay, so if these missionaries are going around and we've been using this number a lot during this conversation, so we'll just use it again, right? $8,500. It takes $8,500 a month for a missionary family to be on the field, okay? But, and that might be a little high for some and it might be a little low for some, right? Now, apply that same amount of money to two men, that might be all they need the that entire might, time. That mm-hmm. might be the entire six months. That's crazy. And so the other thing that I think we miss too is like we put missionaries on the field and okay, so in this day and time, right, they had the gift of tongues, right? It was a way for the gospel to exponentially get spoken to large people groups all at once. And a lot of people have different ideas about the gift of tongues. What I honestly believe the gift of tongues was is that I would be sitting here speaking in English. And if Kyle was a native Russian speaker and you natively spoke Indian, right? You would understand what I was saying in your language. It had nothing to do with my capabilities. It had to do with the Holy Spirit translating as I spoke. And as I spoke, the words that you heard were in your native language. That makes sense. So, and I I think there's some reasoning for that. Because when you go back to when tongues was first spoken at Pentecost, people were like, well, how does he know our language? But the guy standing here and the guy standing here were talking to each other and they could both understand Peter, but neither one of them spoke the same language. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Um, We don't have that today. So... What kind of do? I mean, it's Google Translate. I know, but like, so if you have two men, what we do is we put missionaries on the field in a foreign land and we say, hey, now that you're there, learn learn the language. So backwards. What? Yeah. As part so you're going to yeah. waste the first year to year and a half, depending on how difficult the language is. Well, part of that Learning getting, the language? Yeah, part of that getting ready, making sure that you are equipped to preach to that foreign land is learning the language. And if you got two guys doing it, now they're pushing each other, right? Because there's that competitiveness. Yep. So they're like, hey, I'm going to quiz you while we're going out to visit this church. And the other thing do, you do is you cut way down on deputation because you can literally raise the funds that you need for a three to six month missions blast in three months. And you and you can not even leave the Metroplex. 
I think it's possible. I, I think you could oh, hit yeah. just churches in Texas, just churches in Oklahoma. And even, even if you're up North and you're part of the Northern group of independent Baptists, right? You could hit just the churches up there and you could get everything you need. And with today's modern technology, I go to the mission field, Kyle, you and I go to the mission field for three months, right? Let's do it. We have the confidence that our families are well taken care of here at Lake Worth Baptist Church. So that's not even, and with today's technology, gosh, we can FaceTime our wife and kids every, every night. Yep. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so it's like we're not even separated from them. We're giving them updates all the time. If we were ever living in a time where I think it's time to start practicing the method that we see here in Acts 13 and 14, this is the time. Absolutely. We're, we're in the perfect time frame for it. But so we're on the mission field. And you know what? We're in constant communication with Zach, our pastor, and, and with Dan, our, our associate pastor. And um, we're, we're not really seeing a whole lot of fruit. And everyone here at the church is praying constantly with us about the mission work that we're doing. And after two months, we haven't had a single lead. We haven't had a single convert. We haven't had anyone approach us and say, hey, what's this gospel that you keep talking about? Because I see you out here passing stuff out. And you know, what, what is it that you're talking about? Two months, we haven't seen anything. Okay, looks like we're cutting the mission trip short. Shake the dust off of your feet. And move on. Jump on a plane. Come back home. Because you've already been praying about it and, and in it for two months. Like, yep. if... the. The Holy Spirit stopped Paul and Barnabas from going into a certain area. Well, how did he stop them? He didn't give them peace about being there or going there. And he led them otherwise, right? Okay, so in today's world, because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us audibly and we don't have visions, right? If you're not being successful in an area, maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? This isn't the time for you to be here. I've got somewhere else for you. Let's Let's go and redo this. Um, maybe there was a there was a leading that we missed as a church somewhere, and that's right. completely possible. Well, I'll say this, Tom. I think it definitely prompts two things. One, look internally with you and the other gentleman with you, sure. and say, "Have we misstepped somewhere? Are we doing something wrong?" Look at the strategy with your pastors. Yeah. Look at it internally as a church and say, "Is there anything that we missed? Can we do Can we do anything better?" Okay, and then the second thing we really you got you really have to think about is is it time to move on, right? If it's there's no peace, the church is behind it, warriors in prayer, the Lord is not giving you peace about it. Um, I think we'd be surprised to find a lot of Christians would disagree with that. That it's time to wipe the dust off come back, start the process over, right. where are we going next? Oh, yeah, it just yeah. sounds wrong saying it. Yeah. Like the, the way yeah. that I was taught growing up, it just it sounds like just giving up. Yeah. But it makes sense right. that in this context. Well, and, and the, the beauty of being able to do that is like, now it didn't take us five years to figure out we were doing it wrong. Now we didn't waste the yeah. time and money yeah. of, of, of other churches' investments yeah. in us to get to the same point because we have, we're following a biblical pattern of if you don't see fruit, move on. Right. Cause like, what is the long-term picture of that? Right. You have two guys going out for three to six months at a time, you know, hopefully that it's, you know, that's where they, they, that God wants them and that churches are planted and it just grows from right. there. 
But the idea is if they're able to hit more ground in a year, in a 10-year period, and people behind them, the next generation of the church, are following their footsteps, then you have multiple, multiple, multiple journeys of, you know, three to six months. They're hitting a ton of areas in a 10, you know, five to 10 year period. Yep. I mean, isn't that just a so much wider spread? You're covering so much more ground with so, so much less investment yes. in a less amount of time. And not only that, like you're able to come back. So let's say we come back after those two months, right? And we tell the church, okay, this is, this is what we were doing. And as a church, we start praying about, okay, Lord, how can we do it different next time? And what, how can we make the selection of where we're going to send these men next time to where the Holy Spirit does allow them to be successful to where the Holy Spirit leads them to an area where hearts are open to it. Right. And so we take a three to six month break and we have as a church, we fast together about it. We pray about it. We don't fast enough as Christians. It is a lost form of worship and seeking God's face. I really don't think we do it enough. I can say for myself that I don't do it enough. Oh, absolutely. I but love food. We don't, we don't like as a church, we, this church was fasting and praying yeah. together, seeking the Lord's will. And we get that. And the, the Holy spirit clearly points us, you know what? Brazil. I, I need Tom and Kyle in Brazil and the church as a group they all feel like the Holy Spirit wants us in Brazil. So we do the same thing, right? We head there. After two months, we have two different congregations started. Because, and it's not us, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has raised up a congregation of like 15 people in this town. The Holy Spirit has raised up a congregation of like 30 people in this town. Now, what do we do? Well, obviously Kyle's going to take the one church and pastor that for the next 10 years. And I'm going to take the other church and I'm going to pastor that for the next 10 years. No folks. I'm sorry. I disagree. Let's, uh, let's go back to our source text and Paul and Barnabas had made their journey, right? And they're on their way back to Antioch. And as they were coming back through, they were coming through Lystra and Iconium where we had started, right? And this is what it says in chapter 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples. So what are they doing? Confirming the souls of the disciples. Y'all are on the right track. You are teaching each other the things that we have taught you already. You're, you're becoming disciples of Jesus, right? And exhorting them to continue in the faith. Keep what you're doing. You're reaching the people around you and showing and preaching the gospel to them. You're doing a fantastic job. And that we, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Sure, you've gone through some hard times. You're going to continue to go through some hard times, but the Holy Spirit will, will help you. It's obvious that you're doing the Lord's work here. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, elders here as a pastor, right? So on their way back through, they didn't leave those churches with pastors. And I'd also like to point out that they did not leave them as missions. And I'm doing air quotes here, folks, because you will not find the concept of a mission work anywhere in the Bible. When a congregation was gathered, when a congregation of believers was gathered, it was a church. Right. Yeah. The, the whole missions thing is very Catholic. Yeah. So they came back through, they ordained elders in every church. They didn't organize the church. They ordained a, a local pastor who the Holy Spirit had raised up because you know what's weird? 
when you follow the pattern in the Bible and you just go start churches, the Holy Spirit will raise up a leader in that church. And it doesn't have to be the missionary. As a matter of fact, you go look in the Bible, you will find that hardly ever is it the missionary. Well, I'll say this, Tom. I don't think that's the missionary's job. I would agree. Follow me down this train of thought, right? They are, if we're, if we're doing an Acts 13 model, these two guys are going out, they're planting churches, getting it started. They, they might pastor it for a short period of time, but the idea is that the Lord will, will rise up a man, ordained man, to take over that church, yep. to start the work there in his community, and the two men move on. And that church, if it thrives, God willing, does the same thing as the sending church of the two men. Yes. That's how the model works. I think that missionaries, and we love our missionaries, but I feel like we are, we've, we've fallen into the trap of staying, staying stationary for too long. And I get it. It's comfortable. I, I can understand under, like getting to a spot where you, you understand the culture, the language. You've been there for a long time. I get it. But again, as we stated, I mean, just imagine how much more land that you can cover how much more spreading of the gospel. And that is your job to spread the gospel as a missionary, what you could do with those smaller trips, less, you know, takes less funding. But I mean, just imagine, I mean, take the same like amount of time that a missionary is in field. Some are, are lifers, right? They're there until they're in their sixties or seventies. And then they come back. Um, But even if it's say 20 years, how many trips, six months, you know, could you do it in 20 years? You do 40 trips? Yeah. Can you go to 40 different countries, 40 different cities? Yeah. Just think, and that's only maybe about half of what we're seeing now as far as like the long, I call them lifers, but the, the long, like committed, I'm going to stay here until we, we retire kind of you're, Christians. You're increasing the reach of the gospel. You're increasing, you're increasing the efficacy of the gospel because you're reaching more people with it. And it doesn't matter how long a missionary is in country, that missionary is never going to be as connected to the culture or as familiar with the people as a national pastor. Absolutely. Ever. And the wisdom in Acts 13 and 14 shows that the first missionaries understood that concept. As they went back through and they ordained the pastors, they didn't stick around. They didn't feel a need to stick around there and to continue to educate the pastors. Well, how did Paul do that? Well, he wrote letters to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians and to the Philippians. He educated them through correspondence. What do we have available to us today? How much more effectively can we educate through correspondence? We can hold web colleges to train native pastors and we can do it for but like it, it can, we can be training pastors in Brazil. We can be training pastors in Germany. We can be training pastors in Spain. We can be training pastors in Africa, all from this studio at Lake Worth Baptist Church. Sure. Yeah, instantaneously yep. for virtually no cost. Yeah. Yeah. And as they came back and they ordained those pastors and then Paul begins his correspondence with them, right? The, the close of verse 14, which wraps up the entire methodology, right? Is, and when, and they thence sailed to Antioch. So they're returning to their sending church, right? From whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work, which they fulfilled. They completed what they were sent out to do on their first missionary journey. And they were returning. What did they do? 
they started churches where the gospel found footing, right? They had no control on whether or not they had footing. They showed up in the most public place. They preached the gospel. And if people were saved, they, there was a church there. And if people were not saved, they moved on. They shook the dust off of their feet and they made a loop and they came back. And when they came back through and visited those churches to make sure that they were still on track, they ordained pastors and then they began correspondence with them. And then in the very end, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed or went over all that God had done with them, how God had used them for the sake of the gospel and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples before they be, before they began their second missionary journey. Right. But this is not anything that we do in modern missions today. We don't have them come back and stay. Missionaries come back for a couple of months, a year, and then they go back on the field. And most of them go back to the same place they've been laboring for the last two years, 10 years, 15 years. I don't understand to your to something that you've said multiple times, Bryce, why we consider it failure if a missionary leaves a town that they believe that they've been called to when they are not getting any fruit because if there's no fruit we should be shaking the dust off of our feet and moving on but what this pattern that we've established now through acts 13 and 14 shows us is that maybe there's a little bit better way maybe we send two men out maybe we send them for three to six months and maybe they're not there the entire three to six months but I would also argue that sometimes I think it's better if we can put men in countries where they even have a vocation that they can practice there. There is a church whose name I won't mention because they're not necessarily the same flavor of Baptist that we are, but they call their members to use their vocation as a tool for missions. So let's say I'm a very successful businessman in a certain area of, let's say warehousing, right? Well, this church says, well, if you're really successful in warehousing, see if there's an open door for you somewhere in India or somewhere in Japan or some anywhere in the world where you can go be the manager of a warehouse in that country because the Lord has opened an opportunity for that and then work there. But at the same time, witness to people and see if you can start a church there and that you can find biblical proof for because Paul was a tent maker by trade, right? And it even said that there were towns that he would be in where he would start churches and he would work as a tent maker while he was there to provide his own funds. That's, that's something that's completely foreign to us as independent Baptists. So what would be wrong with Kyle? Let's say you and I, right? We're those two missionaries that are going out and we get over there and we have some kind of work that we're doing over there. Like we're, I, I don't know, the, the Lord work opens this crazy awesome door where we're able to like have a job there and we're able to, it's a temporary job. We're only there for like three to six months, right? But somehow the Lord just worked it out where they're like, not only did he open the door for us to be there, but he opened the door for us to have a job there too. Well, now we're taking the financial burden off of the church. And we're like, well, the Lord's not going to work in that way. Really? If you can put your God in a box, 
he is definitely your God because mm-hmm. he's not the God. Right. Yep. Well, think about it this way, right? I mean, if if done correctly, right, the church approaches the men mm-hmm. with, hey, listen, um, we have a heart and we feel like there's a need for Japan. We would like to call you, you know, you and me, Tom, to right. Japan. Um, if it's gone through that channel, right, and we're like, okay, the Lord definitely wants this church to send two guys to Japan. Yeah, right? Let's start looking at jobs in our skill set that we have here in the States for Japan. Why wouldn't we do that, right? Yeah. Um, the other side of that, what I was thinking about when you said that was, I think we, you'd, you'd have to be careful that it doesn't take away time-wise. Absolutely. From being able to, I think, do the primary objective, which would be spreading the gospel. Yeah. But as long as it doesn't infringe on that, to be able to go out and, and have those ends, cor- whether it's corporately, whatever it is, in, in your workplace, in that foreign yeah. land, um, could prove to be beneficial. What's a really good way, what's a really good way to get in people's lives daily stuck in a cubicle cubicle next to him <laughs> work with them right yeah. and and when you look i think I, I think you can see that like paul used his job right as a as an arm of his ministry like somebody came in and hey i need i need uh i need a tent made for blah blah blah, blah or i need this part of my tent repaired and he's like oh yeah i can do that oh by the way He's you like, heard of the good news of that. jesus christ yep. you know what i mean like maybe not like that i mean paul as eloquent as he was could probably like find a way to bring christ yeah. up in every single sentence yeah. that someone you know said who's really good at making tents <laughs> right, right the lord jesus right. christ let me tell you about hey, you know but he <laughs> called them tabernacles right and so he said that your body is a tabernacle yeah. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Um, well, another thing too, Tom, is if 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 a missionary two guys are able to approach it that way vocationally, it might even open the doors, and it might even be an easier transition to get to country. Yeah, with work visas and yep, things. Absolutely, it actually might be uh, just easier to get there from just the red tape and just bureaucratically. Well, and because that's a lot of the argument that people use for mission boards, right? Is mission boards have access sometimes that singularly sent missionaries from churches don't have. Well, if you're coming into country on a work visa, you've, you don't have that problem anymore. Right. You know what I mean? And how else are we going to get to China? Yeah. You you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like what a, what a, and there are opportunities as far as like, you can get into China to teach English. Do you know how many countries hire people to teach English in like a, a short term class? You could get into a school over there and say, Hey, you know, we, we're going to teach, we're, we're here, we're offering our services to teach English. We're going to be there for this set amount of time. If you'd like, we can come in and teach English there. You can use that anywhere in the world. English is one of the most like universal languages that is currently used on the globe. Right. Right. And everyone, everyone, like even when I was in Germany, this was all the way back in the early, in, in the early nineties, right? Like English was a required class. So what a great way to do that. Like maybe, maybe that's a tool that could be used and you know, you're only there for a three to six months engagement. That's not your entire job, right? But you're only doing that at night. So you have the whole day to go out and reach people. You're teaching night classes. It, it's just one of those things that I don't, I don't think we consider because we always have this concept that like missions is a full-time job, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if missions is a full-time job, then what was Paul doing? 
Paul was like, there were times Paul wrote letters, wrote a specific letter that said there was a time where like I was working, but I didn't let you support me because I felt like I didn't want to be a burden on you. But now I'm sorry that I didn't let you support me and that I was working because I feel like I robbed you of a blessing that way. Right. So Paul was like, yeah, I was working the entire time, but I should have let you support me because I just, I, that's just the type of person I am. I like to work. I didn't want to be a burden on you, but I really should have let you. There's so many proof texts for how other ways that we could be doing it. And yet we've got these guys, you know, that are pastoring churches that run like 500 people. They tithe on their own, but yet they're not an organized church yet. And every time they baptize somebody, they baptize them into the membership of the home church, which doesn't that propagate universal church? Yeah. And well, you get to like satellite churches and just some weird <clears throat> sketchy stuff happening. Um, which I don't think are scriptural whatsoever, this whole model of satellite churches and, and whatnot. Um, maybe that's another podcast. But, we're yeah, so quick, but hang episode. on, hang on, hang on. We're so quick to condemn that. But yet if a missionary goes to the field and starts a quote unquote mission work, that mission work is not its own church until someone from the sending church with a whole bunch of other people go over and organize it as a church. So what you're, so we can't have campus churches, right? We can't have satellite churches, but we can, if we call it a mission, there needs to be a handoff, <laughs> right? There needs to be a set expectation of a handoff right? at some point. That is the scriptural model. And I think, you know, the delineation is, Hey, we're going to, you know, our main campus is up here and we want to, we want to service the greater Texas region. So we're going to have, we're going to have a satellite church in El Paso. We're going to have one in San Angelo and down Corpus Christi and Houston. Um, but they never, they, there's no intention. There's never any progress in becoming their own independent right. church. That is what I take issue with. And I think, listen, there's going to be, there's going to be a period of time where we're, you know, we're trying to get it on its feet and we're trying to grow membership so that it can become an independent church right but there has to be the intention to do it and there has to be a handoff at some point you can't have a hundred satellite churches there has to be i think the intention and then the actual action of saying okay great hey we appreciate everything you've done to help us um but we we're our own church now and we need to start operating as such still great communion with the brothers in the faith but we're an independent baptist church just like you are and we're going to start sending our own missionaries out. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. I'm going to throw something out there that I'll probably get a lot of flack on if anybody listens to this. Here we go. When you have five converts, and I don't care what the number is, that have decided to meet together in an organized and orderly fashion, I do not find anywhere in the Bible one instance of someone going and formally organizing a church on a piece of paper. What makes a church a church? When Jesus called out his disciples and his apostles and started the first church, was there some kind of formal organization ceremony? Was there a piece of paper that was signed that says, yes, I grant you the authority of a church? Yeah, was there even like a building? No. no. The, a, the church is the, 
the saved group of individuals that right. meets together, right? And just like we saw there in Acts 14, when Paul came back through these churches, they were churches. They were not missions. There is no case in the Bible where Paul started or any missionary started a mission work that later became a church. When they started meeting, when the believers assembled together, it was in a local place in that, in that city, it was a church, period. The people, they didn't have to go get a whole bunch of people from Antioch to come to Ephesus and be like, okay, so we're going to have a formal organization ceremony and this, these two pastors and this deacon from Antioch are going to sign this piece of paper that says you are now an official church. No. no. Yeah. Paul and Barnabas went there. They witnessed. People got saved. They started meeting together. It was a church. Yeah, no, I think a lot of these, we've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of satellite churches Sorry. a little bit. But to kind of put some punctuation on it, I think a lot of these satellite churches fall victim to that they just don't want to be independent. They, they, they don't feel the need. They don't see it. They don't, they don't want to be separated from this kind of hierarchy. And I feel like it, it's definitely not scriptural, like you said. Yeah, you, you can't have a diocese kind no, of no. form of church, right? Like either you're an independent Baptist church, you're a Baptist church, right? Or you're not, right. and you're something else. You, you, you can't, it, I mean, I guess, no, I won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but specifically what you're saying, campus churches, right? So when you, when you come to things like that, which again, this, this isn't missions, we've got, we have gone down a rabbit hole, but, um, when you come to things like that, if they're all like have, if they all have the same lead pastor and he's not at their church every week, uh, th- there's no pattern for that in the Bible anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. At all. And that's what I take. That, issue that would with. be like, yeah. that would be like Paul being in Antioch and saying that he was the lead pastor of Ephesus and Corinth and, and Philippi. Like no one ever said that. Um, or that would be like Peter, who was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem saying that, Hey, like all these little churches that are sprinkled throughout Jerusalem, I'm the lead pastor, but all of the other apostles are the, are the campus pastors, yeah. you know, congratulations. That's, that's You've not, embraced Catholicism. That's not, that's not how that <laughs> works. Congratulations. Yeah. You're a bishop. Um, yeah, it's well, not, I mean, it's, according to the Catholics, that's how it worked anyway. Yeah. Um, it's not, you can't find that. As a, like in, there's no scriptural yeah. basis for that whatsoever, but I mean, getting kind of getting back to what we were talking about, I I think I think we've arrived at a at a good spot of really explaining just the separation of what we see now and and what yeah. I would agree with Tom, you know, as kind of a, a guide. Here's here is the the you know the prescription. Do it right, and um, you know we definitely don't want to say that you know, the missionaries on the field or churches that are sending out missionaries are, are in the wrong and we don't want to condemn anybody, right? No, yeah, God, not God at has all. used this not current method tremendously. Yep. The word will, the word will not turn up void. Right. Right. Agreed. But we are merely, merely proposing the question, could it be approached this way as we see in, in Acts 13 and 14? And what would that look like in today's climate at, in independent Baptist churches? Yeah. And should we give it a try? And I think we should. I, I agree. And I, to, to tack on to the, the things you just listed, how much, I don't want to say trauma, but how much trouble in missionary families or for missionary kids or for the missionary and his wife 
could it mitigate if we were to go back and adopt this pattern, right? How much more would it empower our churches to support the families of missionaries who are going out for these three to six month stints, right? Because I, I think... I think you're, yeah, you brought up the three to six month stint thing. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good time frame, right? Because it's not too long. It's not, it's not too short. It really gives the chance to like assess where they're at and to see if the gospel is going to catch on. Um, But yeah, I would love to see a church step up and say, you know what? We're going to try the Acts 13 and 14 model and we're going to see if it works. I would love if, if this church was like the yeah. first one, right? It, How awesome would, would that be? be? It would be crazy. To start yeah. that revolution, be yeah. like, you know what? We're going to do it like the Bible says. Yeah. And just pioneer it. How mm-hmm. awesome would that be? You know, it's, it's such an amazing thought, right? You know, I, that's something I've been I've been praying for really ever since that we, we kind of had our first initial conversation yeah. about it, probably about a year ago, about, oh, like, this is not really scriptural what we're doing. Yeah. Oh, this is a, a, you know, a notion that I just had no idea about. Mm-hmm. I just misconceived notion. Um, my prayer is then that, hey, you know, this, this church has never really had a missionary sent out of it. Yeah, we've been a church for, uh, you know, by the time this comes out, eighty six years. Yep. yep. No sending mission. So cool. Yeah. No. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. But uh, no sent out missionary. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. Interesting. Why is that? Um, you know, is it a heart problem? Maybe. Is it we just haven't had the right two guys, right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, I, I would love, um, you know, in the next, I would, I would love to pioneer that in the next few years, have this church call a couple guys and say, you know what, let's give it a shot. Yeah. And you know what? We can point to scripture and say, this is our inspiration. Sorry, I'm like giddy right now. It'd be so cool. Awesome with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we walked through a lot of things. I mean, just to kind of recap, right? I mean, ba- major things we talked about, right? It has to be church-led. Yep. Right? N- not an emotional response from the person wanting to go somewhere. Two, I think we see uh, a scriptural foundation for it to be two men. Agreed. In that same context uh, with the families that are left behind, if they're families or kids or, or what, you know, dependents yep. that are left behind cared for by the sending church that are cared for emotionally and financially mm-hmm. um three that m- maybe it might be more beneficial to uh lower the amount of time that mm-hmm. they're gone i think like you said three to six months maybe nine depending on where you're going and, and what's happening might be a better I, I would definitely think sub a year you know below a year for sure yes um and then lastly as hard as, as this is, as you know, as Christians and what we're so accustomed to, as hard as this pill is to swallow, if 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 it's not working, and if the Holy Spirit is clearly saying, "Hey, it's time to move on," we should move on. Yeah. And I think through all of these these four examples, I think there are scriptural basis for all of them, and we don't really do any of them. And it's not condemning anybody or any church. I'm just merely proposing the question, should we? And what would it look like if we did? What if? What if? Yeah. Yeah, well, I can I can proudly say that I'm convinced and, and converted we sold in Bryce. my mindset um, 
just off the last, you know, this whole series that you guys have done and the one that I've set on now, it's, yeah, this is crazy. This is eye-opening. It's, it's almost, it almost feels like the opposite of what we've been taught. Now, I know it's not the opposite, but it right. feels like it. Yeah, yeah it, it, def- cr- it definitely feels like, it feels like heretical. Yeah. Almost to like think about it. It's so polarizing from what I just believed. Absolutely. The scriptural model was growing up. Um, and now we can find scripture that, you know, negates that. And it just, it does the first, the first approach at it does feel wrong. Yeah. It's right there in Acts. I mean, I, I would, I would actually highly suggest, because I, I know, you know, a lot of our members here at the church listen, but I know we have a lot of listeners elsewhere in the world. Think about it, right? We're not condemning your church. We're not condemning your way of doing things, but I think, like I said, it's worth you personally opening up your Bible to Acts 13 and reading through exactly yeah. what is the prescription for going out and evangelizing to a lost world and how it was handled in that time. And again, ask yourself, ask your pastor, ask your church the question, could we be doing better? What would it look like if we adopted this model? Should we adopt this model? You guys are gonna have to answer that question. Yeah, but I think we've presented a pretty, pretty good argument, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think it's, more, it's I think it's more of proof text, right? I've gotten into this conversation with other with uh, as an argument before, right? And uh, I think you said it really good in a previous episode that we're, God didn't call us to win every argument, right? Um, actually, Bryce, you said hey, that. Bryce, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was that was one of my favorite little parts in that thing. Uh, God didn't call us to win every argument, but maybe if more churches would just try to follow, we, we want to go back to the Bible for so many things, yep. except for dot dot dot, right? Um, one of the things that drove me to even start looking into this was I started questioning some things that I had been brought up with, and as I got further and further into the Bible, I saw that they weren't there. And I was like, and as I started going down this rabbit hole of all these things that I thought my whole life that weren't there, I was like, well, what else isn't there? And you start researching and you just start reading the Bible. Right. To Kyle's point, just read your Bible. Open and it up. Something Become we've a true said, student of yeah, the word. It's yeah. something we've said over and over again in this podcast. I mean, just throughout the entire history of it, get in the Bible, read it. And if you believe something that you cannot find substantiation for in the Bible, maybe that belief didn't come from the Bible. Maybe it's a tradition. Maybe it's something that we've adopted over time, but maybe it's not biblical. It doesn't make it wrong, but maybe there's something that is biblical that's better. Right. Um, and there's, I could go on and on and on for hours, but we don't have that kind of time. Um, so <laughs> no, thank I, so for you guys, thanks for like having this conversation with me for doing like, for all just having the, for us having the capability to do like this little series like this and discuss it. Uh, I'm obviously very, very passionate about it. I've been very close to it my whole life, but well, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I hope that at the very least, like this has been beneficial for some people to just kind of, even if they don't agree or don't subscribe to what we've been talking about, that this has challenged them to get into their Bible and just read. For yeah. sure. And I, and I'd, I'd like to thank you too, because you, you've, you know, definitely, I think through the Holy Spirit, I mean, led this kind of crusade in our lives yeah. to be able to yeah. say, you know what, at a personal level, hey, what you think about missions, what you think about these key aspects of your faith aren't here in the Bible, yeah. right? And uh, 
know, I, I appreciate cool. the hard work, you know, the heavy lifting that you've done for, <laughs> for decades on it. Amen. Um, and, and you know, how, how the Lord's used you and your family. Um, just another testament of how God can use, you know, not the best situation, mm-hmm. right. With the whole background with missionary and the missionary yeah. kids and how God can use it, uh, in a platform to inform, you know, who knows how many people on mm. potentially a better way to, to yeah. look at it and, and to execute it. Well, y'all, if you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe, hit the follow button, whatever platform you follow on. Listen, again, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. It's LWBC underscore publications. Um, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your feedback. Uh, we talked about it last time, just kind of having a, a question uh, episode or start the episode with questions. Yeah, in order email to do us that, questions. In order so to do cool. that, send us questions. Yeah, it'd be so fun. Um, it's a podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Uh, we, we would love to hear from you. It's, it's something that we're kind of really excited about eventually hearing from uh, listeners. And whether you go to our church or don't go to our church, we'd love to hear from you either way. Yeah, or comment on our Facebook post a question. Yeah. And if you if you see one from us, um, or on Tom's uh, well lit path, ask questions. If you can just literally type a comment on Facebook and ask your question, like yeah. to make it easier. Uh, we would love to sit down and and dissect it and answer it. Absolutely, yeah. We'd love any opportunity to engage with our audience and, and minister to you guys any way possible. Um, you know, we we appreciate you guys staying tuned through this series. We hope it's been uh, beneficial to you. I know it has for me, uh, most definitely. Uh, we definitely took a, a deep plunge throughout this whole series into missions. Uh, but we'll be back next week with another installment. Have a great week, everyone.